Amanda Edwards. How you doing, young lady? I'm wonderful. And thank you so much for having me on the show, Egberto. I'm loving being here today. Well, you know, when, when we saw you in Kingwood and we saw fresh <laughs> faces coming to light up Houston. That's right. We had to say we are bringing folks in. The community must know everybody that's out there in the field. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And that's what we want to do. Anyway, folks, let's get started with the program. We're going to have a good time here. We start and title the show today, Houston Mayoral Candidate Amanda Edwards. And the second topic, Republican will cut your Social Security if allowed. That is if she doesn't take up all the time talking. You know, this is a free-loving show. Are you trying to say I'm long, long-winded? Well, I kind of heard you out there in Kingwood, and you kind of sounded long-winded to me. But I'll I, do my best to behave. No, no, but what I, I, I make sure to do something. I always have a backup in case, in case you fail me. I doubt that you'll fail me, but in case you fail me, always keep a backup. You know what I mean? Understood. All right. Anyway, folks, we need... Generational change in leadership, change around the country. Houston, Texas will have that option this year with former city council at large, meaning she has already won the whole big cojona, you know? Amanda Edwards, you know, and the second topic is, of course, Republicans continue to balk at Biden's calling them out. But if we don't get to that, you can always go to the newsletter. I can't tell you where the newsletter is. Just look it up. All right. Anyway, folks, Houston mayoral candidate Amanda Edwards. Houston is a vibrant city in Texas. It is the fourth most populous city in the county. Houston occupies most of Harris County, a bellwether county that mimics the United States of America. It is diverse, international, hometown-like, and cosmopolitan all at the same time. The vibrancy can only continue with new leadership, with generational change. I repeat. We can only continue this with generational change. The next mayor of Houston must bring that. For all who want to see progress, you will have choices this election. You can make a difference. Don't you damn well forget it. There will be a choice for the good old boy cigar smoking uh, network or for generational change for a better direction for the city. This is not just a Houston issue, but a national one. And in that light, Politics Done Right is chatting with former at-large city councilwoman Amanda Edwards. Amanda graduated from Eisenhower High School in Aldean ISD. She earned a BA in political science from Emory University in 2004. Amanda went on to earn her JD from Harvard Law School, Amanda returned to Houston with a broadened perspective and interest in impacting her community. Amanda practiced law for years as a municipal finance lawyer where she solved complex issues relating to tax-exempt bond financing, public-private partnerships, and nonprofit organizations. All that sounds important, and it is. If you want to be mayor of a city, right? That's right. She has practiced law at both Vincent and Elkins LLP and Bracewell LLP. Ms. Edwards will discuss when, what she intends to bring to Houston, Texas. How does she envision the future of cities that serves all? How do you bring equity and fairness to government generally owned by the wealthy and the powerful? How does she bring agency to all in a system too often for 
best done with the affluent. So start in, tell us a little bit about yourself first. Absolutely. Well, you, first of all, thank you for having me on. Absolutely. And uh, I am a native Houstonian, born and raised. As you mentioned, I am a graduate, a proud graduate of Eisenhower High School. In Aldine. In the Aldine right School District. Right around the corner so. from where I'm at. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. So I was a mighty eagle. Yes. And uh, after I, and when I was actually growing up, it, it I got started kind of uh, looking at really how you can create impact at a very early age. But one of the things that's been really transformative for me is when my dad, when I was about 10 years old, my dad got diagnosed with cancer. And so when I was growing up, I watched and witnessed my dad going through treatments. And I remember learning about our U.S. healthcare system mm-hmm. by way of asking questions to my dad. Mm-hmm. And I would ask questions like, what happens if this insurance stuff doesn't uh, cover his illness? He, he had a form of cancer called multiple myeloma. And he would say things like, well, we have to figure something else out. Mm-hmm. And I remember even as a young teen, hearing him say that was just unsettling to mm-hmm. me. You know, I knew something was wrong. And what I appreciated at a very early age was that policy and public service, it has to be about more than just the politics, right? Mm-hmm. It can't be just about the swivel chairs and the name placards. It's got to be about the people. And in our case, you know, what happens to the people who don't get coverage? And I thought about those types of questions. And although my dad did pass away from cancer, born from that experience was a motivation to put people over politics. I tell you something before, not to interrupt you, but when I went over and started doing a little bit of research on you, right? Yeah. That is one of the reasons I said I wanted to interview first, believe it or not. When I heard about, uh, first of all, Healthcare is one of the major issues in this in this country. Yeah, and to have somebody some sufficiently empathetic to understand what others are going through, that was very important uh, to me. It's one of my pet peeves. Mm-hmm. Uh, the healthcare system. The other thing that got to me is at 18 years old, you went to college for a BA in politics. Politics is everything that I believe, and I think uh, I have this phrase that I say: citizenship is a requirement. Should be a a politics should be a requirement for citizenship, and that you went and got a BA in political science at an er that early an age says much. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so after I graduated, I went to Emory uh, in Atlanta, and I got a chance to work in community based organizations while I was a student, and so um, got my hands on a lot of that understanding that you don't impose on communities when you're talking about change. You've got to work alongside them. And so that was a really great experience for me. Um, and then had the opportunity to work in Washington. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a, In my youth, I worked for Congresswoman Jackson Lee. Mm-hmm. And so I was running around the hill all over all over the town and, and learning a lot. And finally went to Harvard for law school. And it was there where I had the opportunity to work for then Professor Elizabeth Warren. Yes. At, at that time, That's she was Professor heroes. Warren. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So had some really great experiences there, but um, ultimately came back down to the South when Katrina happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, I watched it on TV like most people did, but I decided that I would move down to New Orleans. And so I... That was surprising. Yeah. I, when I read that in your bio, I'm like, okay, this woman is here in Houston. <laughs> What happened? How did you, yeah, what what I, happened? Yeah, listen, I saw it on TV just like everybody else yeah. did, but something compelled me to uh-huh. 
when I graduated from law school to go down and help. Mm-hmm. And so I had a job. So for those that are worried, I was uh, clerking mm-hmm. in federal court during the week. But on the weekends, I was teaching seventh graders how to use writing as a tool of empowering themselves after something so tragic. Right. And so it was really rewarding. But ultimately, after my clerkship ended, I went back home to Houston because, you know, just like I know, you don't have to have a physical storm right. for there to be need in a community. Right. right, right. And so there's so much need all around you. So I came back home to Houston, but I was resolved that I would get just as involved here in Houston as I had been in New Orleans. And in doing so, I got synced up with groups like Project Row Houses. Mm -hmm. I was the board chair there for a number of years. And also in my practice, my legal practice, got a chance to do a lot of work around building communities like schools and hospitals and just helping to facilitate uh, all that you see in a community just from the built environment. So You mean you're a real community organizer? Is that what you're trying to tell me? I'm not. I didn't say I'm a community organizer, well, but like I'm going to say I'm a, serv- I'm a community servant that. leader. How's that sound? Uh, that's, servant leader. I, I, I like, that's a political answer. <laughs> <laughs> that's a political I didn't answer. say politician, yeah, though. Okay. I didn't say that. So, yeah, and, and got my hands, you know, again, mm-hmm. that's how long-term sustained change comes from working alongside the residents and amplifying the concerns that they're experiencing, but also having them owning those solutions. And so you've got to forge a partnership. And that's what we did. And then, of course, in 2015, I threw my hat in the ring to run for city council at large. How it comes you chose at, I mean, that's, that's a big leap. That's what I was told. To go for an at, at large <laughs> position, yeah. especially in a city like Houston, right? Yeah. Uh, because we have a great good old boy network and you have to be almost asked to be to, to, to get certain things done. You know, it's a funny thing you say that because I remember in that race, although I thought, surely I'll, I'll win, I'm qualified, all of those things. I remember not getting the endorsement mm-hmm. of the Chronicle, believe yes. it or not. And when I was running, I was very qualified, I was running hard, but I didn't get their endorsement. And it wasn't because um, I wasn't prepared or qualified for the role, but it was something to the effect of not having paid enough political dues. And I said, hmm. You were not anointed. Yeah. What are these political dues? How about people dues? And that's what we made our campaign about. We Mm -hmm. made them about the people and we made it about the issues they face. We made them about, we made that campaign about the solutions we could come up with together and the results that they deserved. And so we did that so much so with such vigor and such energy. There wasn't a meeting I wouldn't go to, a person I wouldn't talk to, uh, and we did that all across this 650 square mile city mm-hmm. and ultimately ended up winning that election with more votes than anyone else running for office, including the mayor. But don't tell him I said that. I'm going to tell him. <laughs> don't tell him. No, I but it, it was a testament, not to me. It was yeah. a testament to the people. Right. Like that's what this campaign became about. And that's what I think the mayor's race ought to be about. That, uh, exactly. Exactly. What? Um, you know, whenever you have politicians, mm-hmm. you always wonder if, uh, when they do things, why they do things. And like I said, in reading over your bio, and, and believe me, before I do these programs, I like to read over the folks so that you don't come and snow me, right? So that <laughs> you don't come and tell me something and think I'm going to just eat it up and like, oh, she has a smile on and is going to say it. But I was really taken by your bio. Thank you. And the reason why, again, it's because... I believe in people and I believe that the person closest to the people are, is a person who should have consent to be governed. And I don't think we have that in Houston right now. In as much as I think we have 
a good mayor and, and competent council members. I still think we are too far away from the people. And in what I've read about you so far and what I've seen you doing, I've seen that you always kept yourself close to being around people. Even when you, even when you came out in King, what I watch, I watch what, how politicians dangle around people. <laughs> I do a lot of watching. I do a lot of listening. I watch how politicians dangle around people. And I was really impressed with the way you actually address the different folks, not only the clubs, but just folks are on the outside. And I think that is commendable. Thank you. And I mean, truth be told, you know, a lot of the times we get it really messed up in politics and we think that the people who are the bosses are the people who are in the swivel chairs mm-hmm. and with the name placards. And the truth be the truth of this is the real bosses are the community. Right. You are the people to whom I should be accountable. One person, and, one vote. Right. Exactly. And so if we treat our public with the respect that they deserve, we also have to understand that how do you lead a people that you don't hear? Mm-hmm. And how can you lead a people when you're not present? And so having that presence, having that engagement and creating a, tr- a trust and a partnership, I think is the way forward. We have to do it this way if we want the change that we deserve in our communities, if we want it to be long term and sustainable. I want the change that I create as your next mayor to last far after I'm gone from office. That's what we should be striving for. That's leadership. Right. That's not politics. That's mm-hmm. leadership. And we need more servant leadership that amplifies and elevates the voices of those people. Let's get serious about some issues here. When I say issues, I'm not these not, not technical issues because I'm going to tell you something. Mm-hmm. Most people, uh, you know, all the technical issues, you're a lawyer, you know, all the <laughs> magic that occurs behind the scene. But most Americans don't. Most Houstonians don't. And most Houstonians never will. The only thing that they're going to see are things that materially affect them. Mm-hmm. Right now, we have uh, two other candidates that are running so far in this election. One has north of $10 million. Uh, you have X amount of dollars. I won't tell you that I know how much you have or anything like that based on my research, etc. But it is substantially less. But I think um, uh, I think. When it comes, how do you expect to use people power to subjugate the power of the carpetocracy? Well, that's that's very simple. And I explain to people all the time, it's not going to cost me $10 million to win this race. Mm -hmm. The good news is we have run and won Mm -hmm. and served citywide before. And so we have what we call a political base. That Mm -hmm. means people who are in the community who want to cast that vote for you. And so you've just got to make sure you can pay for the amplification of your message to them. Mm -hmm. And so with that in mind, we know from a budgeting standpoint what we need to do, um, and we're on target to do that. We closed out last quarter from a fundraising standpoint in uh, second place behind uh, the person that you're mentioning um, in terms of fundraising that quarter. So we're in good position to execute our plan. But the other piece of this is that people have to always remember is that checks don't vote. Mm -hmm. Okay? Checks don't vote. We can ask the last election cycle, there was, you know, Tony Busby ran with Mm -hmm. $10 million. A whole lot of money. Yeah. I mean, we've seen it. Karen Bass just got outspent 11 to 1. That, Uh, that actually, that should have given everybody in this country to, you know, we we know about uh, Citizens United and all these other things, but that should have made anybody say, well, you know, who cares? Let's go ahead and get to, towards the people. So, yeah. Yeah. It's you, you, you have the, you talk about money only just to say you get, to, you have to get to a certain bar of mm-hmm. what can be effective communication, but we're going to get to that bar. So that's not our issue. Our issue really now is just effectively communicating. 
in making sure we touch Houstonians and make sure that they feel inspired by having a mayor who's going to make sure that everybody in the city, no matter where they live, has an opportunity not just to live in our city, but to thrive in our city. I want to do an errata right here. Uh, folks, I do remember this is a nonprofit station. And uh, yes, we have Amanda uh, Edwards, who's running for mayor. Every single mayoral candidate who would like to be here and defend their case, they have the option just as Amanda has as well. So please do remember that this is an open door policy. Likewise, I want to remind everybody that we are in fund drive mode and we can bring we can bring great folks like Amanda here because you support us. I want to give a big thank you to uh para ver para ver para ver uh I don't think I think this one may be for work but that's okay to Michael Fowl. Thank you so kindly for being a part of the KPFT family. But look, folks, we need you to call 713-526-5738. Option number one. Option number one to support the program, 713-526-5738. We are in fun drive mode. I know you want to listen to all this great info that Amanda is speaking right now. So uh, while I talk for a couple minutes, go ahead and make that call, 713-526-5738. Hit option number one. And uh, as soon as I see it on the screen here, I'll tell you thank you so kindly for supporting KPFT 90.1 FM Houston via Politics Done Right. Because, again, we cannot do that or we cannot do this without you. 713-526-573. And don't forget, you can go to kpft.org, kpft.org. Hit the donate button. Make sure to say that this is for Politics Done Right. Also, remember, we have a new T-shirt, the Politics Done Right T-shirt. Nice T-shirt. And I tell you, that O in politics, guess what it has? The KPFT logo. $100 contribution. And you know what? You can be styling with the new Politics Done Right T-shirt. So come on, folks. Call 713-526-5738. Option number one and don't don't worry about this uh, when I'm done cutting this stuff out a lot of this stuff would be taken care of so we can have that smooth thing out on your your video tell me a little bit more about what you intend to do for Houston now that we've spoken a little bit of the technicalities yeah. why you yeah you know interestingly enough I'll tell you a little bit of a, a personal experience that I had as a city council member some of the things that I got a chance to do while mm -hmm. serving on city council included things like Start Our Cities Tech and Innovation Task Force, which yeah, now yeah. has led to the creation of the Innovation District yes, down the street. Yes, yes, um, and, but others involved issues around equity. Like we learned about the disparities that women and minority business owners face here in Houston when they're trying to access capital, when they're trying to scale their business, when they're trying to really make it. Um, and we had some strategies and we put into place and now an alliance that operates uh, and functions for that purpose. And so we've done a lot of work around equity. We've done work around how we create other forms of opportunity. But one of the things that really drove me to this moment is actually something that happened after Harvey. Mm -hmm. And I remember getting a phone call and they said, uh, one of the community leaders asked me to come and check out, uh, check out some of the seniors in her neighborhood. I said, no problem. So I showed up impromptu. And just knocked on a few doors. Mm -hmm. And when I'd ask them, what are you doing to clean out your house? They'd say, oh, well, you know, I'm using this product or that. And I said, well, what are you doing to 
deal with the furniture in your house and get that removed. They said, oh, well, my grandchild is coming to help me with that. But then I'd ask the question, what are you doing about the walls mm-hmm. that at that Not time mold, had been yeah. uh-huh, soiled by the floodwater? And in house after house that I would visit, they'd all say the same thing, which is that those walls are already dry. And these Uh-oh. are seniors. Yeah. These are low-income seniors. So, of course, that broke my heart mm-hmm. because I didn't know how many seniors were having that. Living. Yeah, going to live this experience. Mm-hmm. And so I decided that I wasn't elected to have a broken heart. I was elected to do something. Thank and you. so I mobilized hundreds of volunteers. We started going door-to-door canvassing. And here's the moment that I want to, uh, to focus on. When I would step foot on the doorsteps, and I'd always wear my city council shirt, mm-hmm. so they knew I was not there for harm. But when I stepped foot on those doorsteps, one of the first things they would ask me is, what are you doing here? And I remember saying, oh, I'm your city council member. Mm-hmm. I'm here to help. Bah, 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 thinking I'm answering the question. Mm-hmm. That wasn't the question. They said, no. What are you doing here? Mm-hmm. Are you up for reelection already? Mm-hmm. And if you just think about that question, it was the second worst disaster in American history, $125 billion in damage. Yeah. And the first thing that comes to mind when you see your elected official standing on your doorstep is that she must need something from me right. rather than to be here to, to deposit serve. into their lives. Exactly. This yeah. is the second worst disaster. So I say that to say that democracy has been broken for a lot of people in our community and we need people to understand that democracy is not just about accessing the ballot booth. That's just step one. Step two, three, four, and five have to be about making sure that those people get the results that they're looking for and that they deserve. And so instead of it just being, we know how to find you when it's, mm-hmm. it's election it's season. Central, we yeah. know what vote, we know what precincts you vote in. We know what you like to drink, coffee you'd like to drink when you go vote. We know what days you like to go vote. But we don't know your name. We don't know your address. And we certainly don't know how to solve your problems once in office. And that's the paradigm that I want to see shifted in our community. I want to make sure that democracy, democracy is working for everyone. And that when that democracy works, when, he, when they get the ability to vote, they vote for someone who will actually serve their needs and show up for them especially in the greatest time of need. And that's what I'm bringing with me as part of my journey and motivation to City Hall is a desire to create more equitable outcomes for our community. Why are you trying to answer all this list of questions that I have? (laughs) Don't get ahead of me. (laughs) (laughs) But, but no, but here's the thing. When I, when people call, I get a, I get my calls in, I do a whole lot of blogging and I get a lot of the, the response in. And we've taught people that government, government is something else, right? Mm-hmm. The government is no good. The government doesn't come through for you. The gov- and, and they always forget the reality is if I'm saying government is bad, I'm saying I am bad because government, theoretically speaking, is we the people. So you're the, you should be the instantiation of those you represent, which Mm -hmm. as it turns out, you're telling me that based on the, your past performance as a legis, not a legislate, well, kind of a legislature that, that, that your past performance, that, that is the kind of thing you believe government is supposed to be. I don't see that often. And I think that is why so many have so little faith in government. And what I want to start seeing is the people who have not been yet corrupted by, and, and a lot of time it's a good old, like I mentioned in my 
initial blog, the good old cigar smoking boy network that have really uh, maintained this level of corruption that people no longer have faith in government. You are a and of somebody who has proven, I, I think thus far, that government can and should work. How do we put that forth to the rest of the people throughout the city and in that effect throughout the country that let's get government to be effective? Absolutely. And that's part of your job, right? Your, pro- your job is not just to be a part of a campaign trail. Your job is to deliver on the things you talk about on these campaign trails. And like you said, that is the manifestation, right? We ought to be reflective of the community needs and wants, and then most importantly, getting them the results they deserve. So you've got to be that conduit or vessel for change. And that's your job. Now, again, but the question is, how are we, I mean, right now we have a city, uh, you know, I, I, used, I used to have this phrase on, t- I went to a conference in New York, and first of all, I want to thank uh, Michael belatedly for, uh, I tell you what, why don't you do it for me? Uh, okay, I'll do that for you. Uh, evidently, you're, you're reaching some people like Michael who donated $100 to your show. Michael, thank you so kindly for that contribution. You are a part of what's making this a better country because we are here to do the job that all of us know we need to do. So thank you so kindly, brother. I am fascinated by your guest here. I'm just sitting here listening and went, oh, we got to thank Michael. Yeah, she, but I tell you what, when I, uh, I, you know, you know how I do my stuff. I, I, when I started reading up on, on her, I'm like, oh, really? Oh, really now? Because again, you know, uh, I don't want, I, a lot of times you don't want politicians telling you what they do. You kind of want to see what, you know, go ahead. And and, I, and again, like I said, I think it is, when I talk about generational change, when I talk about not only generational change, but in a lot of ways, gender change. And folks, guys, don't hit me up on what I'm going to say here, okay? But I'm going to tell you something. We've been doing it a long time. And there's a, cert, there's a certain dynamic that I've noticed throughout the world, not only in the United States, but the way we handle COVID, the way we handle a lot of issues going forward, we need a change. Merkel, Duan, all these, uh, Finland, New Zealand, all these countries have been doing great. Just heed me, it's time. Miss Edwards, uh, continuing with the discussion. Um, so, as I mentioned before, it is very hard in these times to really get people to have faith again. We're going to need people that, are, that speak in your words, speaking that kind of message to get faith back into people. By God, I'm trying like hell to tell folks government is you. You haven't been a government official and showing what you could do in community. I think it's a good start. What else can you do? Absolutely. Well, you know, one thing that I think is important when I say creating a Houston for everybody to be able to thrive in, it's it's important to make sure that you meet people's basic needs, right? So we've got issues around crime that people are concerned about, right? And so when I talk about that issue, I often talk about something called community policing. Mm -hmm. And you say, well, what's that? Well, that came from uh, when Mayor Brown was Chief Brown. In Atlanta. Exactly. And it's a model whereby you serve and protect everyone, Mm -hmm. but on a neighborhood basis. Mm -hmm. And so that means you have police presence, law enforcement presence in communities. It serves a preventative focus. 
if, uh, it, it, it helps to prevent crime, but it also helps to create and conjure up more trust. Mm-hmm. You say, well, why do you care about trust? Well, that's part of how you solve tri- crime mm-hmm. is collaborating with the community. If I don't trust you and every time you come in my neighborhood, you're antagonistic or I look like a culprit to you. That's not going to be the workings of a good trusting relationship, Mm -hmm. right? And so we've got to have all of our neighborhoods, no matter what part of town you live in, feel protected and served. There's got to be an emphasis on prevention. I think prevention comes along with presence. And so having that community policing model really helps with that. I will also say you've got to look at the conditions that you've created in the first place as to why crime is where it is. Some of that. You know, right now, it's a situation where for some, it makes more sense to steal that catalytic converter because there's not a sustainable wage paying Mm -hmm. job for them. So some of the policies that are economic also tie into what it is that we're experiencing from a public safety standpoint. So it's all interwoven. um, And so addressing the issue of public safety from the crime angle, but also addressing the issue of public safety from uh, flood mitigation. I just told you about the Mm -hmm. second worst disaster in In American history. So we've got problems here with regard to climate change in our city, right? We know that. And our topography is challenging because it really, yeah. yeah, it's flat, completely flat, nowhere to drain your stuff. So we have to be the city that not just doesn't just have epic problems, mm-hmm. but we can be the city that has transformative solutions. Absolutely. Let's let, let's stop you there for a second sure. and bring Derek into the discussion. Derek, I wasn't I, I didn't know I was going to take calls because I knew we were going to have a lot of time, but it looks like Derek is in. So come on in, Derek. Derek, you're on. How's it going? All right, talk to me, my brother. Um, I was just wanting to get uh, a viewpoint on uh, the. You spoke to it a little bit on the flood mitigation mm-hmm. and how the uh, commissioner's court is actually switching a lot of the funds away from the Lake Houston Kingwood area and out to you know other areas because you know eighty percent of the funds since two thousand have gone to those other areas. So I think it's kind of uh, you know most of the structures were flooded around Lake Houston and Kingwood, not not around the cities. Um, so that's one thing, and then. You know, I know that uh, she probably wouldn't have any control over the commissioner's court, but they they vote all together, and there's one person that controls that, really, and they just vote along with him. Um, You know, Rodney Ellis kind of leads that whole group. So, Um, And then secondly, you spoke a little bit on the crime issue, and, and, you know, there's been some recent uh, things this past week. You know, I think yesterday, I think Hidalgo kind of said something about, you know, we've had some deaths, but... You know, it's because of the numbers that are there and we can't get all the crime, criminals, et cetera, et cetera. But I think that that, that portion, letting the, the bad ones out, you know, based upon the balance in the court with all the bonding and that kind of thing. I mean, how does a mayor touch those areas and kind of uh, put their stamp on things um, you know, and if you can speak to that a little bit. Thank you for the call, Eric. Yeah, I thank you for the questions. I'll start with the crime question first and then go to the flood mitigation second. The issue around crime, you know, certainly there's several governmental entities that are involved in that. What I think is something that a mayor could do to help with the the differences between jurisdictions and, and just the connectivity on these issues is to be a part of a collaborative approach to 
creating an answer or solutions around crime. Right now, everybody kind of works in their own silos. And at the end of the day, when you are a resident, you don't care about what jurisdiction has what, you know, who has jurisdiction or what. You just want the outcomes to be what is most desirable. And Exactly. You just want a safe neighborhood. So one thing that I, is in the direct purview of the mayor, of course, it, I mentioned was um, what's happening with HPD, Houston Police. But it's not limited to, that's not the only issue going on. But, you know, right now in our city, we have fewer police officers today than what we had 20 years ago. Fewer today mm-hmm. than 20 years ago. And that's a financial issue. So mm-hmm. part of my job, too, at the city is making sure that the things we talk about, like crime, on these campaign trails can come to fruition. In large part, that is because you've got to have someone in office who can deal with the financial issues that we experience. And so a lot of what we're encountering with the shortage of police, et cetera, is stemming from the city's financial challenges. So that's one part. The second part I would say on that is, you know, convening and helping to convene a collaborative approach around uh, a crime solution in our community because it's a broad issue and it affects different levels of government. I would say to your question on flood mitigation, there's a drainage arm of that and then there's the flood mitigation channel part part of that in the jurisdiction, as you know, there was most of that in terms of the large dredging projects and bayous go to the county side of things. And then, of course, on the city side, if the the drainage doesn't allow the the flow to get to the bayou because you've got clogged up drains, we haven't been, you know, but maintaining those things, then you've got to flooding problem for residents. So we've got to do a much better job on coordination, generally speaking, just anywhere. I know you talked about the Kingwood area. Soon as Harvey happened, I was out in Kingwood um, and and certainly witnessed uh, a lot of what was experienced there as well. So I, I certainly empathize with what you're saying. And we've got to have a comprehensive approach for all 650 square miles of our city. And so that means... I think what he was trying to say, however, is that he feels that the way the commissioner's court, and I don't know if you have, uh, you're, you're the expert. I don't know how, mm-hmm. what the delineations of work is, that uh, the way the commissioner's court is set up right now, that a lot, uh, quite a bit of money was moved away from what would have actually gone to Kingwood mm-hmm. and some of it has gone to other parts of the city. Yeah, they had, um, you know, the county has jurisdiction over flood mitigation like the flood mitigation channel. So Mm -hmm. the large scale efforts from the county. Now, certainly the city, you know, you're in the city of Houston. We don't get those dollars directly. Mm -hmm. Uh, The bonds were passed by the county as well, but there are matching funds and things that we can do collaboratively to get more funding access to our region. The city of Houston, when you look at it just from a jurisdiction side, recently received zero dollars let me, let me let me let me repeat that. $125 billion worth of damage, second worst disaster in American history, yet the state allocated zero dollars to the city of Houston Wait, for the flood. State of Texas. The state of Texas. Which they controlled that flood mitigation. GLO, right. General Land Office, and the state of Texas allocated zero dollars to the city of Houston. Why? Uh, politics. So it was politics. So you had that happen. The county did get some money, the city got zero. And so when you have something like that taking place, and I don't know a single Republican or a single Democrat that likes to flood. Mm -hmm. I just don't know them. Mm -hmm. Introduce me to them because I've never met them. Mm -hmm. 
Nobody wants to flood, right? This is universal. How do you introduce politics into that? So we've got some challenges with funding. I know that there's questions about the sequence in which uh, that the county has chosen to go about their projects, which are within their jurisdiction. But I will say, if you didn't have such a shortage of supply as a whole, we might be able to fund all of the things. In other that words, we if, if yeah. our legislature, we actually got some money. I, I, I know that I know that uh, we uh, our our mayorship shouldn't be very political in nature. But I think what you're also saying is, uh, it, it's shameful that likely because this is a city that is more balanced towards the democratic purview, if you will, that uh, those dollars weren't given. Yeah, I mean, there were, you know, uh, the GLO office in the city of Houston, the leadership in both have not been seeing eye to eye mm -hmm. on a number of things. And, and that's what happened next. And the department, the HUD said that that was uh, not appropriate in terms of a zero dollar allocation. The formulas clearly were skewed, mm -hmm. um, but that's what happened. And so we have a city that has experienced such extreme harm and damage, not getting dollars for flood mitigation. So when you're asking me a question about things that we can do as a city, and I'm looking at and thinking about that zero dollar allocation from the state, from from the state, the state of, of, Texas, of Texas, not given to the county where major gave flood some to the county, I mean, not the, to the city, the city, right? Yes. So the allocation that should have come down to the city, we should have seen a billion plus and we got zero. Right. So that is now, you know, a subject of litigation and the like, but that's absolutely absurd. Welcome to Politics Done Right to our folks online. Uh, Eric Hayes, uh, as well as Lynn Max, Lynn Halsey Taylor, Bruce Pollard. Bruce says, great show. Wish I was in Kingwood to vote for you, but I will get my neighbors and friends in Kingwood on your trail. All right, let's go. I'm ready. We're running the trail. All right, We're come on, on in, Eric. Yeah, before we get to Eric, let me just butt in, Egberto. Talk to me. Yeah, hey, I, I want to introduce everybody to Talik, or Talik, say hi to everybody. Um, how you guys doing? I'm Talik, uh, owner of Soul Food Vegan. Uh, hey! I'm trying to keep the community uh, healthy one bite at a time. Um, brought you guys lunch today. Um, we located uh, 2901 Emancipation Avenue, Houston, Texas. Um, trying to stay super healthy, wealthy, man. Uh, hey, thank you, Talik, man. Yeah. Hey, folks, we this look, uh, if it's vegan, you got to go out there, brothers. Yeah, we, you have to, uh, you know, a lot of studies comparing, you know, with the food deserts, you know, with the poverty and mm -hmm. stuff like that. So, I'm, you know, I'm, I don't use any soy. Everything's organic. Um, I also have a cookbook. I created a disease pre prevention program almost 10 years ago. So, um, it's, it's an alchemy just, you know, um, putting healing ingredients such as moringa, soursop, and stuff like that in, in the foods and making it healthy, cooking in, uh, you know, in good, uh, healthy oils and, you know, gluten-free food and making it soul food. But uh, thank you guys for having me. And, uh, you know, let's all stay super healthy, wealthy. And I always let, always let people know you can't enjoy your health without your wealth. All right. You Look, I appreciate you, my brother. And thank you for the lunch. You know, I'm going to go taste that thing as soon as it's over. A long-suffering tradition. <laughs> yes. You know, getting ready for pledge drive used to mean, hey, can you feed us on Tuesday? <laughs> 
for a hamburger on Thursday, all that used to go on, and there was a lot of work that was poured into that. It was fun, though. Well, yeah, it was fun as, you know, when you went up and answered phones, and here comes a stack of food for you. Um, but that was a lot of work getting that together, and we haven't really done anything like that here. We haven't pursued the restaurants or asking to be fed. But Talik, thank you so much for the very generous act of just coming on in and checking it out. Thank you, Talik. Community man. media. Community I, uh, media. I appreciate that because, man, uh, you know, worth, we this this we got to start this back again, Sandy. Worth, worth your support. So call 713-526-5738, option one, or go to kpft.org and click the donate button. With the help of Hermina and uh, Mike, Michael, you're about halfway to your goal. So I'm you, only halfway to my goal. If you're enjoying the rap, give him the other leg. Folks. Come on, guys, you got to help out politics done right now. Seven one three five two six five seven three. Look at the guest I brought you. <laughs> Come on, guys. 713-526-5738. We need, we, we need you guys to, uh, let's just say, oh, Halik, say the place. Uh, I got somebody on the internet wants you to repeat where your place is at. Um, uh, right across the street from Emancipation Park in Third Ward, 2901 Emancipation Avenue, Houston, Texas, zip code 77004. My Instagram is also soul underscore food underscore vegan. Website uh, com. Thank you, brother. If you have your card, when you're coming up, give me a card, please. Thank yes, you. Yes, sir. I appreciate it. Anyway, folks, we are here with Amanda Edwards, who is running to be mayor of Houston. And I, I think you guys are enjoying, I, I think the phones are, are so quiet because you guys are enjoying this type of conversation because uh, this woman is exceptional and you know I don't give those kudos out for the heck of giving those kudos out. Anyway, 713-526-5738 option numero uno. Howard, anything you want to say before I get started again with Amanda? No, please just continue the magic of Egberto. Muchisima gracias hermano. Okay, Amanda. So, um, we, we were talking about flood mitigation and all of that, which a, a lot of that is handled by the county. But like I told you earlier when we started, most Houstonians, they don't know all the technicalities that you do know. They don't need to know it because that's why you are going to be there, right? So what, what will those voters who decide to elect Amanda Edwards if she wins, what do they expect to see the very first time she... I don't think you gavel in, but... No, you don't gavel in. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think you gavel in, but what is it that they can expect from Amanda as soon as she starts? You know, one of the things that I I call it, you know, sometimes you just got to focus on some of the meat and potatoes people are facing. So I mentioned to you already the issue of crime. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of what I seek to do is to make sure that we have safe, well-connected communities that have access to infrastructure like sidewalks, have safe streets to drive on, connection to uh, mobility. And so in order to get to these types of neighborhoods that are all well-regarded mm-hmm. and well-resourced, we've also got to deal with a big crisis that's going to be on our hands, and that is a financial crisis. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I get into office, there's going to be a few hundred million dollars worth of a crisis. Mm -hmm. And so not having that be a time of panic, but instead 
letting that become an opportunity to fix the excuses, right? Because a lot of what people say, oh, we can't fix this because Mm -hmm. we don't have the money. We can't go there because we don't have the money. Remove that excuse and fix it so that people can then begin to realize the outcomes they want to see. So we can then hire more police to do the police, the community policing that I described, Mm -hmm. you, you know, with that model, that's where someone really knows the difference, for example, between Miss Johnson's grandson and somebody who's come to do Miss Johnson harm because they've been present and they know, and they know who's who, and they know what's not and are able to have discernment there and can prevent crime in that way. So I think the safety piece is going to be critical and first and foremost, in addition to dealing with the finances. But I also will get into making sure we're creating opportunities to connect people uh, across our city from a mobility standpoint, because that's a huge challenge for us. Let's bring in uh, Bob Chakwe. Bob, come on in. Bob, come on in. Oops, uh, they're gonna, it's going to turn red right now. You're in, Baba. Senor Baba, you are in. Yeah, how are you? Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Roberto? Yes, I can, okay. sir. Well, good morning. Uh, Alafia to you, Ingabantu. To you, my African uh, warrior. How are you? Wonderful. Thank you. And, and Miss Edwards as well. Council. Either Councilwoman Edwards or former Councilwoman. Former at-large Councilwoman Amanda Edwards. Thank you for giving me the accurate titles. That's very, very important. Ms. Edwards, uh, I uh, want to uh, register a complaint and also ask a question, and I won't be very long. Number one, I called in uh, to to try to get some assistance from um, one of your former council members, I'm sure you know that um, that you have a relationship built up, and that would be Carolyn Shabazz Evans. I was being harassed by the pigs. They were camping out. They were um, intimidating me. They were coming to my house and threatening me. And I called to uh, leave a message for her to call me, and I had to go through uh, a person, a staff member, somebody that's on welfare. His name is Stephen James that gets taxpayer dollars. And because of the fact that I didn't melt his butter and how I described my, the trauma and the abuse and the bullying that I was experiencing at the hands of the Houston Police Department. Uh, by the way, that's what I mean when I say pigs, in case you don't know that that's what revolutionaries uh, call police nowadays and less in the 60s. So, but this boy called me back. Um, I hung up once he began to berate me. Uh, as if, as if I was his elder and he left a threatening message and said, if I call back again, he would call the pigs and have them, you know, he probably complain. So he threatened me that this is Stephen Edwards, uh, Stephen James. I'm sorry, Stephen James. Not, uh, he's not kidding to you, Miss Edwards. I apologize, darling. Not all the so Edwards are kin to me, <laughs> apparently, you know. <laughs> well, Go ahead, uh, brother Baba. But anyway, I don't know how I couldn't be, but anyway, I want to register a complaint. So that, you know, I would want to know what would you do as a mayor, you know, to keep uh, staff members who are getting who are getting taxpayer dollars to work, which means they own the public dole, who viciously threaten uh, citizens, particularly African males who attempt to try to get a hearing or file a grievance about, you know, any kind of uh, vitriol and any kind of abuse brother baba i I, I think baba i I think she get the question i i I don't mean to rush you but we only have four minutes and a couple of other calls to take thank you my brother 
You know, I always know you know you fast. Thank you, brother. All right, man. You take care, buddy. Okay, Amanda. Yeah, I think anytime, you know, this is the this is in a, a space of serving the public. And we've got to always understand or appreciate that the public and their interest comes first. Um, in that realm and in that regard, you know, certainly people answering phones from different offices. I cannot speak specifically to that example um, because I wasn't there. I don't know the specifics of that circumstance, but I will say typically what is tip, what is typical in a city council environment is if you do get a chance to talk to a chief of staff in that space, that often can de-escalate circumstances that have arisen and well, as well as potentially talking to those council members. So, you know, I, we didn't have those, that, those types of occurrences in my office, but, um, I will have always been able or willing to hear a grievance, uh, about, uh, any member of a team, you know, any team member, um, because of course we work for you. So I, I suspect that, there would probably be a, a likelihood to be willingness to hear that grievance. But again, I don't want to speak too much on this because I, I don't have any firsthand knowledge of it. Thanks, Amanda. Lee, come on in. Yes, I have a silly question. Okay. 35 years ago, I bought a house that I thought was in the county. And it turns out that every manhole cover says it's city property. So my question is, how do I get a voice in the city if I have something that's listed in the city and I can get no city police out here and I have trouble getting constables out and I have more trouble getting uh, county police out? So let me ask this question. Who, so in election season, who can you vote for? Can you vote for city officials or are you not allowed to vote when you, you go to the ballot? I am not allowed to vote for any city officials, mm -hmm. and that has me P-O-F. So, but you're saying you believe that you are still, you are you in the, there is something called the ETJ of the city. So there are some instances I I, where. I, I don't understand that. I don't understand yeah. that. I apologize. No, no, no. My so sometimes. 77065. Okay. What, na what neighborhood is that? 77065. It is qualified know. as Houston uh, across Tuffmeister is Cyprus. Oh, that doesn't sound like Houston. Who's who's telling you that it, that's Houston? When you because called somebody, my address at the post office says it's Houston. Oh no no no! So you don't. So when you're looking at what city you're in, it's who you pay your taxes to, and who you can vote for. Sometimes what the, when you're in, what you probably is, you are probably living in unincorporated Harris County. And when you live in unincorporated Harris County, what you do is whoever built your house or whatever years ago, when they were trying to identify how they would label the area, they pick the municipality closest to them. And so a lot of the time people will pick Houston or Spring or you name it. And they get to select if it's unincorporated Harris County. So just because your address says Houston, it does not actually mean that you live you actually live in Houston. So I know that's not intuitive, but it's that is the municipality that was selected as the label because they're not going to put on your address unincorporated Harris County. 
And that's probably what's going on. And that's probably why you see, have that address listed, but that's not who you vote for or where you pay your taxes. Okay, Leah, um, uh, I tell you what, we can t- you can always send some stuff to info at politicsandright.com. I'll get it over to Amanda, but we, ha- we are very short on time right now. And thank you so kindly for calling. Okay, my brother? Thank you for that. You're welcome. Thank you, sir. All right, folks, 713-526-5738, 713-526-5738. Hit option number one to contribute to Politics Done Right. I, before I ask Amanda to close out, please remember this. You heard what the manager said now. He said these talk shows are going to go if only the music shows are bringing in the contributions to keep the stuff alive. So, no. seven one. that's what he said. You know. I know. 713-526-5738. Amanda is going to have some closing words here. But if you're waiting, just go ahead and remember 713-526-5738, option one to provide us support. I still need to raise a few hundred dollars. Come on, give us a call, 713-526-5738. Amanda Edwards, former uh, at-large city council, it's been my pleasure to have you here on KPFT 90.1 FM on Politics and Right, of course. And um, I think you've enlightened quite a few people with what you would do if you became mayor. I also think you are showing them what a... A, poli- a what a politicians devoted to a community should look like. So please give me your closing statements. Absolutely. Well, first, thank you for having me on and extending your platform to educate voters about this upcoming election, which a lot of people don't know about. Mm-hmm. It's, it's going to be the first time in eight years where we'll have an open seat for mayor. And you're going to see a lot of movement in this race. And so it's really important that we uh, take this decision very seriously. I happen to believe that this city is at a crossroads and we've got a decision to make. And that is we can choose to go backward, but I think your listeners and I think Houstonians in general will not make that choice and instead choose to move forward in a way that is bold and innovative, but most importantly, is equitable and creates opportunity for everybody in our community to have an opportunity to thrive. And so I'm running to be the next mayor of Houston to ensure just that. And I'm looking forward to the opportunity to earn the support of your listeners. Amanda Edwards, mayoral candidate for Houston, Texas. Folks, my name is Egberto Willis. This is Politics Done Right. And you guys know how I end this, baby. I am what? Out. We spend a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to trying to parse it into a form that everybody can understand. We try to find those little nitpicks where uh, it goes, it flies above the fray, etc. If you really like these videos that we do, I want to ask a big favor. Please go ahead, number one, subscribe to our channel, and number two, please join if you can. Thank you so kindly for watching. Keep watching. Please remember to share. We must populate the entire internet with our progressive message, a message that we know is what most Americans say that they want. So help us please join.